Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. All right, turn with me to Philippians chapter nine, uh, 3. Sorry, you'll be, you'll be looking for a while for 9. It's, it's uh, 10 o'clock for me too. Philippians chapter 3. We've been in this series called The Cruciform Life. And really, the summary of the word cruciform, it means to be arranged in the shape of a cross. And we sort of spent some time this fall talking about the love of the Trinity and how we're brought into Jesus' own relationship with the Father by the Holy Spirit. We're in this community um, and that is sheer grace, a sheer act of God's love for us. But the reality is living this life out, there is a sense that as we follow Jesus, there's a continual call to die to ourselves and to, to be raised by His Spirit, to die to sin, and, and that His cross begins to shape us. And today we're at a passage that really examines kind of the energy of that. What does it look like? What does it look like in action? And one of the things that I think is true um, is that we tend to react to some of the religious baggage that maybe you were brought up with or maybe you've experienced elsewhere, where you got sucked into this mindset that I have to be good enough, I have to do the right things in order to get God to love me. And we know that that's not true. We know that His love is sheer grace. We don't earn it at all. But we also know that following Him requires effort. And there's a difference between effort and earning. But it does require effort. He says, come follow me. He's going somewhere. He talks about it being a narrow road. He talks about dying to ourselves, denying ourselves, picking up our cross, loving others. So there has to be energy that goes into following Jesus. It's not earning us Jesus, but it is the invitation. And that means we're reordering our lives, reorienting our minds and our hearts and this is a new path, a narrow path, a path we haven't been on before. And so what does it mean for us to, what is the energy of the Christian life? Where does that come from? What does that look like? And that's what Paul is addressing here in Philippians 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this. He's talking about wanting to know Christ and know Him intimately through His resurrection and suffering. He says, not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, he doesn't really give us a lot in Philippians 3 about what the goal is or what it is that we're taking hold of. But he does give it to us elsewhere. Um, so as we look at some other writings in Paul, he talks specifically about this same theme. 
in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he's writing to Timothy, uh, and, and he says to Timothy, look, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so, what he's telling Timothy to take hold of is eternal life. It is not just the duration of life, but as Jesus said, this is eternal life to know Me and to know My Father. It is a relational life. It is a life that comes from an intimate knowing of Jesus, but it also is for eternal. In other words, we can't die. Eternal life is the summary. It's the goal. It's why He grabbed us in the first place to take Him with Him. Eternal life is the restoration of life. The restoration of creation. The satisfying of our heart. The satisfying of our desires in Jesus. And so here He's very specific with Timothy. And He says, look, this is going to require energy. You're going to fight a good fight of faith. Take hold of that eternal life to which you were called. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul, Paul sums it up differently. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Actually, I didn't. I've never been in one of those. Um, I've seen it. Uh, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He's referring to the Roman games. And in the Roman games, what the winner would get was this giant kind of wreath that they wore on their head. Out of, made out of all these flowers and everything, and it was sort of the prize. That was the Olympic gold medal of the day. He says all these people are putting all this energy in, and they're doing it, they're competing, they're, they're beating themselves up, they're disciplining their life so that they can get a crown that essentially withers and fades away like two weeks after. Maybe that's why they went to the gold medal, because it doesn't fade. But back in the day, the thing faded. And he goes, I'm actually pointing, he's pointing to this crown that will last forever. In Paul's mind, the idea of eternal life is also synonymous with a crown of righteousness. The reward of our faith when we get to the end is being crowned with a righteousness that says, I fit in heaven now with Jesus. I belong in a holy place. I can seamlessly remain in the presence of God Almighty because I've been crowned with His righteousness. I have been given His eternal life. That was really important for Paul. In 2 Timothy, he writes to Timothy as this is the last letter he writes that we know of, and then he is martyred. And this is the last paragraph or so of that letter. And he says, I fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. And so what he's saying is that the energy that he has expended, the persecution that he suffered, the preaching, the discipline, the energy, the effort, is now he's at the end. And his life, his physical life is going to end. And he says, I'm going to go from there to the righteous judge who is going to give me the crown of righteousness. And it's not, by the way, just for me. It's for all who have longed for His appearing. And so if we go back to Philippians chapter 3, we can see that what He's telling us is that I, at that point, He hadn't achieved this goal, but that there was energy, this pressing on to take hold of was requiring Him to do, to put His whole self behind this pursuit of Jesus. That it, it, the idea is that it is an unwavering kind of commitment to pursue Christ. And essentially, he's saying that Christ took hold of you to give you eternal life in the Father, in the Son, and in the Spirit. And He made you belong because of His own sacrifice on the cross. He gave you the Spirit as a deposit to guarantee that you will receive this eternal life. You will know Jesus face to face. But now, you know in part. Then you will know fully. Now you understand in part. Then you will understand fully. But you have enough of grace and enough of Spirit and enough of His Word to press on through this life to take hold. And so he's saying this is an all-out pursuit of Jesus Christ. Pursuit is another way that the word press on is translated. He says the cruciform life looks like this. And so here are some things that we could say about it. Seven things. The first is it's a humble pursuit. One of the things that he says the very beginning, he says, not that I have already obtained it. I'm so thankful that he said that, right? Because now I know like, I'm not alone in not having already attained it. It is not a competition between believers. It is not, I'm chasing Christ and I'm going to get the crown. There's only one, and so you're not going to get it. it. It isn't a place for us to arrogantly act like our effort is gaining us merit. Our effort is sheer grace as well. But, but it requires all of us to carry a collective humility. None of us have arrived. And, and, and what's beautiful about that pursuit is it, we can be honest about our failures, we can be honest about our weaknesses, we can be honest about our not there yet, but not so honest that we glorify those things, but honest enough to be real with them so that we can press in to Jesus to overcome those things together. 
The people of God should be the most humble people of God in the whole world. We know that. We stand in solidarity before the cross of Christ with every sinner that has ever been and ever will be. And so there needs to be a great humility, but it's a humility that is in the pursuit. Right? We aren't there yet. The other thing about this pressing on is that it is fueled by grace. This distinction between effort and earning is so massively important that I, I want to drill it into my head and your head. One of the things that can often happen when we start to put energy into our faith, like we start to pray, we start to share our faith, we start to read Scripture, we start disciplining ourselves, one of the things that can happen is we begin to think, that those things, because I've experienced a closeness to God, that rather than those things being a means to grace, they actually are earning me that closeness to God. So let's say I read the Bible and I prayed and I did the right things for three hours. And I'm like, man, I'm doing so good right now. And, and, and you begin to think, because of my effort, I'm earning God's grace. And many of you have come out of maybe religious communities and backgrounds where you got worn out because you did all the right things, but you never experienced the Spirit or grace. And it was because doing those things, it's not that the things are bad, it's that you were doing them to earn them. To earn something you can't earn. Because grace is free. The other extreme that we run, well, if I can't do those things to earn it because it's all free, then I won't do anything. And there's no effort. And there's this apathetic sort of God doesn't care and it's all good. And all I can say to you is the New Testament denounces that attitude over and over and over again. There is an assumption that if you're following Christ, there is a pursuit of pressing on. There's energy to it. There's activity around it. But it's not earning the grace. The grace is fueling it. It's already been given to you. And so we're just reciprocating. We're just responding. We're just stepping towards the grace that has already come fully at us. That's the second thing. The third thing, this is a path that has already been laid out by Jesus. When Paul says that we press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of us, what, what did it take Christ to take hold of us? What did it cost Him to take hold of us? What was His energy? What was His effort? And if we stop and think about it, we realize, well, He... He left the glory of heaven. He took on broken humanity. He lived a perfect and sinful, sinless life. He pushed back against the darkness. He was rejected and crucified for me and for my sin. And He overcame my death and sin. And He resurrected and He ascended and He's reigning in heaven. He did all of that so that He could take hold of you and give you the thing that you were created for, which is eternal life in Him. So no matter what effort we're putting into this, no matter what it's, we, we assume that it's costing us, 
the bottom line is none of us have given what Christ has given. We're all simply responding, trying to grab onto the one who has already grabbed onto us. And he has done it by the sheer act of mercy, by the high cost of his death and resurrection. And so this path has already been traveled. It's already been paved. The cross has already been carried. And His work upon it has already been finished. Which is why elsewhere Paul says, you have died with Christ. You have been buried with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. We're just trying to get in on the thing that He has already accomplished. That's the third thing. The path has already been laid by Christ. The fourth thing about pressing on is that life is at stake. For Paul, the idea of eternal life was not, it wasn't reduced to information, it wasn't reduced to a duration, but it was everything about God that was generative and beautiful. It was everything about humanity that was becoming more and more of ourselves. What we were created to be. Life eternal and life immediate. There is always this great contrast between life and death. Life and unlife. And for Paul, he's always holding it up. He says this is about generative life versus degenerative by versus defamed, desecrated life. This is about us becoming more of ourselves and more human versus less of ourselves and less human. This is about more creation, more creativity versus decreation and desecration. This is about more freedom versus unfreedom. So we're not just talking about different philosophies of Christian living. In Paul's mind, we're talking about the very life is at stake and we might miss out if we don't respond by faith to grab hold of the life that has grabbed hold of us. And so it's extremely important what we're talking about. The fifth thing is that pressing pressing assumes resistance right we press against things that that are pushing back that there's resistance about if you've ever lifted weights or done a push-up like you know that there is resistance there we all feel the resistance the resistance that comes from our flesh it's just like, I don't want to roll out of bed today and go to church. I don't feel like trusting God or whatever the flesh is pursuing. There's resistance there. When you become a Christian, when you surrender your life to Christ, your, your appetites and desires don't go awesome. They're like, well, we still want to sin. Paul talks about this over and over. There's resistance from the world, the powers, the forces that be to distract you, to pull you away from your focus on Christ. There's resistance from Satan. There's true evil opposition that would love to isolate you, would love to get your eyes off of Christ, 
would love to get you to focus inward on yourself. And so there's real resistance there. And the truth is that when you begin to really give yourself to this unwavering pursuit, the more that you press into Christ, the more you can press. The stronger your faith gets. There's things that you might look back on that have happened years ago, and in the moment there was so much fear, there was so much uncertainty, you didn't have a clue, how would I get through this? And yet now that, that you've, you've come through and God's grace has brought you through that suffering or trial, you've you pressed through. And you look back and it's, no, it's, it's, it's like lightweight now. You're like, that's nothing. I've pressed through that before. But at the time, it was like the most heavy, ridiculous thing you've ever been up against. And, the, and if we are going to be faithful to Jesus from now till our last breath, we are going to need a faith that is strong enough to say goodbye to everything but to have Christ and therefore have everything. Does that make sense? So God is concerned that our faith strengthens. So pressing assumes resistance. And when we press, we press into Christ, but we also press out against opposition. So when I say press into Christ, what I mean is this. There are, there are times where our faith has to press into belief, press into hope. Even practicing gratitude and thanksgiving at the beginning of the service, like that's an act. I don't feel like I want to do it, but you press into it. I'm going to love. I'm going to trust. I'm going to press into Christ. And you go, well, there's resistance there. I don't feel like hoping. I don't feel like trusting. And, and I, my fear is that we have been so inoculated by our culture that by ease, that everything should feel easy and it should be simple. And so when we come up against resistance, part of us is going, what's wrong with me that I don't feel like hoping? I don't feel like trusting. I don't feel like worshiping. And you just got to hear from me, that's, that's normal. And when you feel the resistance, you should hear the Holy Spirit going, this is how you know I'm inviting you to it. You feel resistant to trust? Good. It's really important that you press in to trust Jesus. You feel resistant to hope? It's really important that you press into that because that's an invitation from the Holy Spirit. We are called to press on and into Jesus. And that's going to mean the resistance of our own flesh, the I don't feel likes and the I don't want tos. Those are actually invitations from the Spirit to go, you need to push here. You need to grab other people to help you press in here. It also means that we press out. We press against the darkness. We press against temptation and through temptation. We press through failure and accusation. 
We press into apathy. When we feel apathy, we're going to push against apathy. We push against shame. We push against lies. And so we're pushing into Christ and against those forces of darkness. But we need to hear that resistance is an invitation that you are on the right path. So how many of you have felt resistance? Yeah, okay. How many of you are lying? How many of you aren't listening? Yeah, my brother in the back, honest, he was lying. All right. We've all felt it. And I think the message that, that Satan would love you to hear is you, you don't do this right. Or you're not the right kind of Christian. Or you're doing this wrong. And what Paul is telling us is this requires effort. You're on the right path. The Holy Spirit is actually inviting you. So if you've experienced resistance, thank God for it. Because it shows that you are pushing in and on to Christ. It's not unique. All of us get it. So it's so important. We are always pushing both ways. We're working different aspects of our faith. Pushing into Christ to trust, but we're also pushing against the forces that are opposed to faith. And I think about people in our life that I, I look to that have either suffered. You know, I, I have a friend, a lot of us have a very good friend that has suffered through four different major seasons of cancer. And uh, this last round, in my own mind, I'm like, I couldn't do it, right? I would give it up. I, I, would, I don't know what I would do. I just would struggle to believe God's there. And yet, when I talk to this sister, she is so full of hope, so full of God's Spirit and presence, and I'm like, I don't, like, I don't get that. But I admire her, and I've watched her push through all these different seasons, and her faith is so beautiful, uh, and there's so much like Jesus in her. But she has developed the strongest faith that I think I know of. She has pushed in and pushed out on so much. I think of so many of you that have jumped into refuge again. And, and you're saying, I'm going to face my past. I'm going to face my brokenness. I'm going to face my sin. I'm going to face... like That takes an incredible amount of courage. And my guess is what you're going to experience is when it's time to go to class tomorrow, there's resistance there. There's always going to be resistance there. I want you to hear that that is the Holy Spirit going, it's going to be great. We need to push through. Right? That resistance is normal. But as we press into Christ, we, we begin to know Him in ways that we couldn't know Him without that energy, without that effort. When I think of things, even like doubt, it's not wrong to doubt. I've struggled with doubt through my entire walk with Jesus. The question is, what do you do with your doubts? It's really easy to go, I don't, I don't know what I believe about that, and then just be super apathetic and do nothing with it, and, and then blame God because you have a doubt. That's not faithful. 
but you can carry doubt and actually still press into Jesus. There's resistance, sure. The resistance is don't be apathetic with your doubt. But press into Christ. Explore the questions that you have before Jesus, before His Word, before His Spirit, before other counselors. Like Push in. He is not afraid of your biggest and hardest questions. And, and press out against apathy. Press against morality. I know one of the great reasons that, that sometimes I want to change theology is because I just want to quit fighting the fight against sin. So allow yourself to press out and go, what's really underneath this? But pursue your doubts. Press into them. And what I have found when I have pressed in is they have always drawn me closer to Christ. Sometimes my doubts have drawn me closest to Christ. And I've come through at times knowing Him in a much deeper way. And sometimes the question gets answered. And other times, it's not that the question got answered, but there is an experience that, that satisfies my soul in such a way that I am content in the mystery, perhaps. But don't be afraid. We press on and we press in, trusting that He has already taken hold of us. And the last thing is this. Keeping the goal of our faith above everything else in our life is really important. We, we, are, we are so good about talking about that the kingdom is here and it is here. And that you can experience the Spirit of God and Jesus today through His Word. And that's true. But for Paul, there was a great sense that for him, he still had this picture that kept driving him of the crown of righteousness, this eternal life that had taken hold of him. To see Jesus face to face, to have that eternal joy to be in a, a moment where before God, you're in a state of total perfection. That your heart is completely satisfied. That your, your deepest longings are totally fulfilled. There, there, there's a moment waiting for us when we will say face to face with God that this is the way it's always supposed to have been. And it is going to be a beautiful moment. And so for Paul, he just kept that in front of him. This is real. This is ours. This has been guaranteed by the Spirit. This has been given to us in grace. This is coming in fullness. And Paul, it was always before his face. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to worship together. That's why we need to gather in community. Because we have to keep reminding each other that this is what's coming. Right? For, for some of us, that day is our deepest longing. Because we live with a brokenness that won't be fixed this side of heaven. And I've come to learn in, in those places in my life that, that, that they give me the greatest thirst for heaven. I think of my daughter, I think of other kids that struggle with disabilities that aren't going to be you know, fixed this side of eternity. 
And I see them as gifts that God put here to show us what really matters in the world right now. But there will be a day, right, where before the Father, I will dance with her face to face, and it'll be the way it's supposed to have always been. And she will probably be less transformed than I will, right? But that day is coming, and it's real, and I want to fight right now to, to believe that, to not be taken out, but to continue to take hold. And so the reason that Jesus took hold of you was because He wanted to satisfy you and, and give you Himself, which is what you were made for, to be satisfied in Him. And so with Paul, we say, I want to press on. I want to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. And today as we come to this table, it is a table that, that screams grace out to us, right? It's, this is what was done to take hold of us. And now He invites us to step in, not to earn your salvation, but to get in on it. I think of the great theologian Bob Dylan. Come on. Pressing on. Many try to stop me. Shake me up in my mind. Say, prove to me that He is Lord and show me a sign. What kind of sign they need when it all comes from within. When what's lost has been found and what's come has already been. So shake the dust off your feet and don't look back. Nothing now can hold you down. Nothing that you lack. Temptation's not an easy thing. Adam given the devil reign. Because he sinned, I got no choice. It runs in my vein. But I'm pressing on. Yeah, I'm pressing on to the higher call of my Lord. You never thought we'd end with a Dylan song, did you? Let's pray. God, we stand before You extremely humbled this morning because there is nothing within us that has earned, achieved, or been good enough to receive Your mercy and Your grace. But because You first loved us, God, we simply respond by loving You. You have taken hold of us and it cost You Your Son but You conquered our death. And You, Jesus, are reigning right now. And so I pray this morning, and I pray for all of us here, that in this humble journey, we would confess our apathy before You. The places where we have known You were inviting us, but we refused to go and just played apathy that we would confess, God, our, um, our, our lack of pressing, our lack of pushing into the resistance, but just allowing any sort of resistance just to knock us down and allow us to stay there. I pray 
this morning, God, that you would raise us up. That you would raise up a mighty family of God here in Portland, Oregon. That you would empower us, each one, God, with the discernment to know when to press in to our faith, to press into Christ, to your Spirit's fruit and power in our life. And when to press against, to press against the darkness, to press against opposition. Would you, in our humility, give us the courage to invite other people to press on with us? Because we can't do it together without each other. We need each other. And so God, would you make a collective force of people who have so caught the vision of Your mercy and Your love and Your grace that we are committed till death to an unwavering pursuit of grabbing hold of the One who has grabbed hold of us. Meet us now at this table. Meet us at these prayer doors, Holy Spirit. Come and do the work that You need to do. And may we be a people that are bold enough in faith to push into the resistance so that we might meet You in power and be transformed by Your presence. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As of March 1st, we have changed our podcast. We now have an Imago Day community podcast and an Imago Day Eastside Gathering podcast. You can find both these podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. We will also continue to have our sermons on the website and app. On March 15th, we will only be updating our new podcasts with our weekly sermons, so please subscribe. We are excited to watch our community grow deeper into the image of God.